Hello, welcome to day two of 13 Days of Halloween. I hope you enjoyed yesterday's episode. Today, my friend Meg is going to take us through the history of horror films. Keep listening. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Spooky Show. It's the show about everything in the world that is so spooky and terrifying. Um, I'm here with my friend Meg today. Hi. Um, she's going to do something so cool and so exciting for us. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what we're doing today? Okay, so I wanted to talk about sort of the history of horror, kind of go all the way from like the start of film up to modern day, talk about the cycle of horror film, uh, you know, where everything started, where we are now, everything is the same always forever. So I think it's really interesting to talk about. Yeah, I'm like so excited about this. Um, we also have a presentation that she put together that I can share <laughs> on my Instagram and Twitter at Spooky Show Pod. Um, so like, what uh, is your experience? Like, how did you get into this? So I went to school for film, uh, mm-hmm practical film like filmmaking but before that I was doing like English-based film which is basically like the history of film the study of film so I'm kind of pretentious about movies um know a lot about them (laughs) oh my gosh that's so that's awesome be pretentious about what you care about that's my advice (laughs) I will say I'm not like the biggest scary movie fan I'm kind of a huge baby Mm -hmm. Um, but I love the history of horror movies. I think they're so fascinating, the way they're made, how they all influence each other, the filmmaking style. I think it's so cool. So I can't wait to talk about it. Yay, I'm so excited to hear. Also because, like, you know, I just watch scary movies. I don't know about the history of them. I don't know anything. I just really enjoy them. So now you're going to educate me and our audience, and I'm so excited. So, okay, let's just get into it, I guess. Okay, so uh, truly, I'll start at the beginning. Well, first, okay, let me define what is a horror cycle. This is basically what makes up all of horror film history. So a horror cycle is when a horror movie goes big, anyone, it goes big, makes a lot of money, and then everybody wants to do that movie. That movie gets like 8,000 sequels. You end up with a bunch of spinoffs and copycats and people trying to do the same thing. And then the cycle starts to break down once you get into like, you know, Saw 15 and it's kind of started to make fun of itself and you start to get stuff like scary movie, you know, where people like start making fun of it. That's when the cycle starts to stop and then you get the next cycle. And then the cycle reboots. Usually like 30 to 40 years later, you end up with a reboot of whatever that old cycle was. Um, either a straight up reboot of that movie or people trying to like bring back the genre in a new way. Wait, um, some... hold on, sorry. So the it usually stops after the like parody is made. That is so interesting. I never like put that together. Yeah, because like once you get into the parodies, it's like it, it's not really a cash cow anymore. Like people are making fun of it. The studios don't want to take the chance on it because. Yeah it's not really prestigious anymore. It's like a joke, you know? Right, right. I have some good examples of 
really deteriorated just due to like so many sequels would be like the Saw movies, the how like Mike Meyer movies. These have had so many sequels, so many spinoffs. Now we're into reboots and even the reboots are doing badly in the box office. Like they're really beating this dead horse of a movie, you know? Right. Like they announced the new Halloween reboot, we're like kind of mad about it, you know? Yeah, they're like, come on, we've done this a million times. Right, exactly. So that's a horror cycle. That's mm-hmm. basically how everything goes, like in the whole, my whole timeline yeah. that I have laid So let's see. Let's like start truly from the beginning yeah. of time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so horror films started from the Gothic horror literature mm-hmm. uh, trend, which is stuff like Mary Shelley, Bram Stoker, you know, these Lit- literature classics mm-hmm. that turned into films at the turn of the century, the so 1890s, 1900s. You have people like the Lumiere brothers, inventors of film. Uh, George Millet is like a French filmmaker who also is in this with the Lumiere brothers creating the technology for film. Uh, truly, in the beginning, when it was only film, they couldn't do, like, they didn't have film. It's basically just like moving pictures almost like a stop-motion film and there's something called the spook tale uh by the lumiere brothers which is literally just like a skeleton like doing like doing a little dance and it's like the first horror movie (laughs) oh wait have you seen it yeah it looks awful (laughs) it's like you know it's grainy it's black and white it moves super super slow and it's literally just a skeleton like doing a little skeleton dance that's it <laughs> and then let's see then there's something called the manner of the devil it's by george Millet, french uh very french original filmmaker mm-hmm. which people consider this the first horror film um it's kind of like what you might think of when you think of a film from the 1900s it's literally like black and white brown uh, people in goofy costumes just like running around no sound um there wasn't really a plot so to speak it's literally just like this guy dressed up as a devil kind of chasing people around like a haunted spooky house so people call that the first like horror movie like an actual film because i think it's like 12 minutes long or something oh okay so it's a movie. i don't know if you said this but yeah what year around uh so manner of the devil was 1896 okay the so truly the beginning of film yeah and then as the technology starts to grow um thomas edison had his own filmmaking studio just to experiment with the technology um so it's in 1910 he did the first screen adaptation of frankenstein um yeah so that's cool oh my god edison literally had it like he was in charge back then he did so much shit (laughs) Yeah, hands and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. The fact that there was something called the Thomas Edison Studios. Mm-hmm. Kind of crazy. Yeah. So that's like the beginning of film. Literally, you can see horror literally at the beginning of film as a technology. So like it's truly always been there. People want to be scared. It's fun. It's exciting. Yeah. You know. And then we have sort of the first big boom into horror as a genre like a true genre with tropes and trends and everything like that in germany uh post world war one this is called the german expressionist movement 
Um, so basically, after World War One, Germany was like super isolated. That obviously, um, they weren't really allowed to import or export any film technology, actors, nothing like that. So everything they did was like in this really secluded bubble. So they came up with a lot of really, really weird shit that like nobody else was doing. Um, wow. Yes. It's no, I didn't really... know any of this. This is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a really famous film called The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Uh, by Robert Ween came out in 1920. Uh, people refer to this as like the grandfather of modern day horror. I have some pictures on the slideshow of kind of the look of it. Um, it's very notable for, uh, they had no money. So everything that they really did was a product of that. Like for example, um, there was electricity shortages in Germany at the time they were making this film. So all of their lighting was like painted on shadows onto sets Whoa. and not like actual lights, which you could kind of see in some of the pictures that I put up. Yeah. Um, so that's really interesting. And that's why I came up with this really kind of, you know, skewed style, sort of like, you know, carnival looking with all the stripes and that's the lighting. Um, they would tint their like their film gels, like blue or orange or, or green to give the idea of color, even though it was still just in black and white. So like there's a scene where like the woman is sleeping, he's going to come kidnap her and it's all painted. It's all just blue, just a yeah. blue tint over it to give the idea of nighttime, I guess. Um, so it's a really cool aesthetic and you can actually see it come back uh, in modern films, Nightmare Before Christmas is a really great example of a film that pays homage to Cabin of Dr. Caligari. So if you look, I put on the slides mm -hmm. a picture of Jack Skellington's face, and then there's a picture of the main character in Caligari's face. Very similar, super white, pale face with like these deep black eye sockets. Um, and then the, you know, like in Nightmare Before Christmas, all the ground is like these black and white stripes, like, yeah. you know, and the big hill with like the curly cue and the big moon around it is like very reminiscent of Caligari's set making. Um, this Caligari movie looks scary. Yeah, yes. It does. <laughs> it's kind of a weird movie. We watched it in school. Um, it's really strange. It's a silent film. So there's no talking, obviously, just like creepy music and stuff. Um, and because film speeds weren't able to do like the frames per second how we have now it's much much lower frames per second everything looks really like you know jittery and like creepy it's like choppy, yeah yeah so it's really creepy and yeah that film really influenced a lot a lot of horror down the line in history yeah you can you can kind of tell like when i look at so the picture of the uh the night with the blue I don't know well this kind of gives me omen vibes a little bit yeah, yeah. yes definitely mm -hmm. and the actual tropes of like you know um a movie monster because cabinet of Dr. Caligari is a hypnotist is Dr. Caligari who keeps a man in his cabinet and wakes him up and he's like a monster and he gets loose and goes to kidnap this girl and stuff of he's just like a loose monster so these tropes you know obviously you see them in so many movies yeah yeah the monster the mad scientist, the mad scientist obviously yeah right 
So that's really cool. I like that movie a lot. Yeah, you can see you can see like the cyclists talking about start to I didn't put any pictures of, of these, but just like offhand. Um Nosferatu is also a pretty famous old timey movie. That came out in nineteen twenty two. Also very stylistically reminiscent of uh Caligari. Uh that was made in Italy, so you can even see that it's like worldwide, these aesthetics kind of go everywhere. Right. Yeah. Very cool. It, it, this is so cool. I want to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, you should. I think it's really funny. I feel like people should watch it. Well, it's like the, one of the first, one of the first horror films. I feel like if you're a fan of horror, you should probably watch it. Yeah. Watch it and try and like when you're watching it, try and think of, oh, what does this remind me of? Of like a modern movie. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. So then, so that's German immediately post-World War One, right? That's 1920, 1922. Then you have something called the Dawes Plan, which this is like literally like political history. I'm not going to get that much into it, but yeah. it <laughs> basically leads to an economic collapse of, of the German filmmaking. All of Germany's economy is kind of crashing at this time. Um, so eventually in like the mid-1920s, 25, 26, Paramount and MGM buy this big German filmmaking studio, UFA. Um, it's like their main one that they have. It's like a union. All the actors and the workers are all part of it. Um, so they acquire it. A lot of these workers and actors, you know, cameramen, all these kind of people like immigrate to American Hollywood at this time. And you can really start to see some of those German styles and influences start to affect American movie making. Um, particularly, you'll see it in Universal Pictures, obviously, like Universal Pictures, the, the classic monsters, um, the black and white Dracula, Frankenstein, yeah. all those types of people. You can really see those influences of the German style because there was this huge influx of German workers coming in to American Hollywood, right, which right. is really cool. Oh my gosh, yeah. And then that leads into the next like big cycle, right? So then you have universal gothic horror is like this next big one where you have the classic monsters like Dracula, uh, Bela Lugosi in 1931. You have all the classics that people know. So like Frankenstein, Mummy, Invisible Man, Werewolf, you know, mm -hmm. these all get churned out back to back to back to back because they're such hits uh, and they really create their own trend, their own style. It's very, I mean, you could look at a picture of one of those monsters and be like, oh, I know exactly what that's from. Right. Yeah, that's they like cool. really, yeah, they're influential even today and they have their own genre even today. Yeah, literally yeah. Universal Classic Monsters. I think yeah. at Universal Studios, that's literally like one of their big, I don't know, like themes for Halloween is always the classic monsters. Mm -hmm. I think it's really funny. Mm -hmm. So that's like the 30s, like 1931 to 36. And then you can kind of see this cycle particularly start to break down in when I was talking about like the parody films, yes. because you get stuff like um, House of Frankenstein or House of Dracula, which is like imagine <laughs> like an Avengers style movie, but with all of the classic like universal horror monsters is what these movies are. Oh my and gosh, it's really? 
as it's like all the monsters team up together to like be evil and like you know i don't even know what the plots are they're so ridiculous that is so funny the, and they, those movies bombed, like they did so badly. And they were built up really big, right? Like all your favorite monsters on the big screen together. And it was like a ton of production value and time. And they were like not <laughs> well received it at really all. It really is like Avengers for monsters. <laughs> yes. And it's so funny to me. I, yeah, it's hilarious. And then I think like the biggest nail in the coffin is a 1946 film called Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, which I put a picture of the poster in the slideshow. Um, It is Abbott and Costello movie where they're in like Frankenstein's castle, just running around doing, you know, like their slapstick hijinks uh, with Frankenstein. So uh, you can kind of see the teeth get taken out of this like horror film at this point. This looks silly as heck. It's really goofy. Yeah, it looks so silly. And it's so funny that this, like, really truly is, like, the scary movie of this time period. Right, yeah, because it's not even, like, well, we tried to make it scary and it flopped. It's really, like, no, Abbott and Costello are making this movie. Yeah. Well, yes, Abbott and Costello really breaks down um, any hint of it being serious. And then those movies were kind of, like, uh, a stinker after that. Nobody wanted to make any more monster movies right. after the Abbott and Costello thing happened. Yeah. So you could definitely see the end of it. And then it, it honestly, because the Universal Monsters uh, started to tank so badly, alongside the collapse of the mainstream studio system in Hollywood, you start to see people taking horror film a lot less seriously. There's no budget being put into any mm-hmm. horror film. Actors don't want to sign on to do them. So that's where we start to get into the B movie status, right? This like very popular notion of what a horror movie is, a B movie. Yeah. You get into the 1950s, which the uh, Hollywood, classical Hollywood, the studio system is already starting to deteriorate. So horror movies themselves are even getting less attention, less money, uh, because they're funneling all the money they do have into these big budget movies with big names, musicals, anything that they know is going to make money. That's where all the money is going. So you get the horror movies starting to get relegated to that B movie status. This is where you start to get these like pulpy classics. We think of them as classics today, but back then, you know, these B movies were kind of shit on, like people didn't really respect them at all. Right. Um, and you start to get these really like pulpy sci-fi flicks, um, like The Thing in 1951 is obviously a classic with that monster. Mm-hmm. Um, some other classics being like Creature from the Black Lagoon. This, you know, it follows that trend of like the classic monsters, but they had no budget. You know, it's in 1954. People weren't interested, didn't want to see it. Um you have stuff like Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 1956, like these kind of sci-fi kind of weird vibe movies that are like really kind of different, um, very pulpy kind of following in the footsteps of, well, leading, I should say, for these movies are stuff like Flash Gordon, like these really pulpy kind of adventure sci-fi kind of things. You've got Godzilla in 1954, 
um, which like I said, again, we were like, this is a classic B-movie film, but back then B-movie kind of like, well, who's going to see that as like drunk teenagers or like something like that, you know? Yeah, and it's so wild too, because like, like Godzilla's still made there was like one in 2013 or something yeah yes yeah Godzilla's definitely one that I would classify as one that they're really beating with a stick like into the ground yeah it uh, it, through the whole timeline of movie Godzilla is really one that keeps coming back you have like 18,000 sequels Godzilla and Mothra like every monster under the sun reboots left and right yeah god yeah godzilla i don't know why but it really comes back like no matter what i like the godzilla movies honestly (laughs) there's definitely good ones the new one i don't think was very good at all Mm -mm. so yeah that's how you would mostly classify the 50s i think these pulpy b movies um and then we get into the 60s and in hollywood or at least in american filmmaking you had something called the production code uh this basically is like our modern day rating system like gpg pg-13 but it was much stricter there was a lot of things that you weren't allowed to put on film at all because it would go against the quote production code this is why you have things like uh marilyn monroe movies like she's not allowed to wear pants like these are things that are part of the production code um it's it's like uh you'll see in old-timey like husband and wife movies or tv shows they'll actually have separate twin beds instead of their own couple bed uh, just because you weren't allowed to insinuate that anyone was having sex like at all and if you did you would be like rated r or something yeah if you had anything that was against the production code they would rate you x and you would be only allowed to show your film in the like nickel sex theaters basically which nobody wants that, obviously, because you're not going to make money, you can't really advertise it or anything like that. Yeah. So in the 60s, the, these production codes start to loosen up. Um, there's starting to be a lot of pushback from filmmakers. Uh, they want to, you know, do what they want to do. We're getting a little bit more of a structured rating system. Um, and this is definitely the era of Hitchcock, who's taking as much advantage of these production code, you know, loosenings as he possibly can. Um, Psycho, I think, is an obvious classic from 1960. You know, the the shower stabbing scene, everybody knows that, yes. like, song. Also, fun <laughs> fact, Psycho, I'm pretty sure Psycho is the first film to have a flushing toilet in it. Is that true? Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I learned that in trivia, I think. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's really funny. I did not know that. Yeah. These are, and these are also some of the first films to have like blood and like actual murder. A lot of, before this, it would be a lot of like cut to black and like no actual on-screen violence and that kind of thing. And even Psycho, if you actually go back and watch that shower scene, you're never actually really watching her get stabbed. Yeah. It kind of cuts between the guy doing the stabbing motion and her like face screaming yeah is that um was that so when that was released what was that like what is that like rated because i don't even i I wouldn't know i would have to assume whatever their version of rated r would be yeah really pushing because hitchcock was definitely known for like pushing the boundaries of his time right but his films did so well that 
studios and these like production code monitors would kind of like kind of let him do his own thing but uh hitchcock actually kind of notoriously hated the american hollywood system um he didn't like working for studios once he started to make a lot of money he's actually pretty notorious for telling studios like fuck off and just using his own money to make his own movies how he wanted to mm-hmm. um in a lot of like commentaries or like interviews he's like so so derisive and resentful of like american hollywood he really hates <laughs> good for him he knew <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> let's see so i also have the birds written down obviously another good classic um 1963 uh this kind of ties into an idea of like natural horror which is like sort of a mini cycle of like horror movies that aren't like over the tops like until now we've had like monsters and like you know uh, pulp sci-fi and like really kind of out of this world type of stuff uh but Hitchcock kind of first person to really start doing these like psychological movies these like everyday horror movies because even in his like lesser bombastic movies they're still really creepy like vertigo um you know nothing really horrific is happening in that movie until the very very end you know but it's still creepy you're kind of like freaked out the whole time yeah it's like Uh, the stuff instead of like frankenstein and werewolves and stuff it's like the stuff that could like probably actually happen like psycho for example like you know a killer dude like that that could happen that's real and birds attacking i mean not likely but it could happen (laughs) right exactly yeah Yeah, it's not like these are killer alien birds it's like it's just like a flock of birds like just animals going crazy basically which is probably more terrifying than weird like monsters that don't exist (laughs) yeah exactly right Mm -hmm. so that definitely kind of starts off its own genre and we and we see those start to escalate more in like uh you know like the 70s i would say we need to get into stuff like uh carrie and stuff like that but i mean we'll get there later but you do see these psychological thrillers definitely taking inspiration from hitchcock all the way back in the 60s even today yeah um And then the next big cycle, so like Hitchcock of the 60s, kind of running concurrent at the same time, um, we have the Hammer House of Horror. This is a a really, really, really big, uh, sort of, it's sort of its own studio. It's also sort of just this one guy's collection of of film, uh, John Hammer. Uh, So you start with the first reboot of any horror film, The Curse of Frankenstein in 1957 Mm -hmm. a hammer film he's rebooting the original uh Universal Studios one so now you're starting to see movies from the 30s rebooted now into the 60s right and then you have the Hammer House of Horror pretty much running from the late 50s into the 70s even uh these are just like a library of films from this particular aesthetic, they cranked out so many movies, like seven Frankenstein films, like six Dracula movies, a couple Jekyll and Hyde, a couple Mummy movies, um, many, many other vampire films, not just Dracula. Um, But it's pretty 
well known for their particular style and aesthetic, which people like to call the blood and babes style. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you're getting the, some of that pulpy, like B-movie style coming back into fashion, really taking advantage of being able to get a- away with a lot more stuff on screen. So a lot of girls running around, you yeah. know, absolutely. A lot of, um, a lot more actual killing on screen. You're not seeing like, you know, like modern day gore or that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But for back then, it was like kind of oh, it's shocking. It's so gory, so much fake blood, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And the, they're kind of famous for literally the house. They had a house that they would film everything in. It's kind of this creepy, gothic looking like mansion um, that was their actual studio that they would film like for exteriors and they had sets and stuff inside. Uh, and I can't, it's escaping me who, but like somebody bought it recently and like did a little like, oh, look, we're in the Hammer House of Horror. Um, is it in California probably? I think so. Yeah. Something like that. Oh my gosh. That's interesting. But that's really fun. Yeah. So it's, it's like a actual place, this like gothic looking mansion place. I'm sure people go to tourist it and take pictures. I want to go. That's so cool. Yeah, that's really cool. And then let's see. So in like the blood and babe style, a big one that everybody kind of knows and loves, I just mentioned Little Shop of Horrors, um, is like a perfect example of its time. Uh, It's kind of raunchy. It's kind of funny. But you have, you know, like the monsters and stuff. And, you know, it's very much a product of its time, which is fun. Yeah, absolutely yeah let's see so yeah going you know so you have these sort of concurrent running cycles right there's the blood and babes and it's pulpy and it's you know fun and it's kind of thrilling and you have the hitchcock stuff which is much more natural and i guess like psychologic and like thriller-esque and you can see into the 70s it starts to run much more with the hitchcock style we kind of get into the occult sort of uh, trend of movies. I would I definitely like call this the occult. Is when it like really gets rolling. Like yes, yeah, yeah. You can start to see stuff happen so fast because mm-hmm. now, obviously, into the seventies, you have uh, like a new generation of filmmakers coming on board. You know, like uh, Spielberg and Polanski and. I don't even know. There's like so many like big names coming out now. And you end up with like The Exorcist, all-time classic, you know. All-time classic, like still, I think for, I talked about The Exorcist in one of my episodes, um, like one of, for its time, an insane movie to just come out at that time. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see how, uh, the past sort of shaped the exorcist to actually like occur like all these factors like the influences from Hitchcock these influences even from German expressionism like if you kind of look at the lighting in the exorcist you can kind of see um it's it's doing new things with like horror effects and and uh uh makeup like movie makeup yeah, yeah. like big time big time it's, <laughs> it's really cool um, you've got the people call it the film school generation. So, like I said, this like Spielberg generation of filmmakers that 
uh, grew up watching stuff in like the 50s and 60s and you can see the influences coming back into the 70s and 80s like with Exorcist um, or like I have also written down The Omen also very Hitchcock-esque yes. you can definitely feel feel that when you watch it very cool yeah and then I have like a brief because this one absolutely just sends me like a brief aside is uh the start of the quote shark horror movie cycle which people attribute to <laughs> Spielberg's Jaws mm-hmm. in 1979 um there was not shark movies we had monster movies right we had creature films um but once Jaws came out and like I said for a horror cycle that movie made so much money like that movie ran in theaters for like two plus years like people were watching it over and over and over wow yeah and people attribute basically the summer blockbuster to jaws like that that concept of like a big summer movie that everyone has to see like didn't really exist before jaws and star wars came out back to back wow i did not know it was in theaters for two plus years yeah, it wouldn't. It would not leave theaters. Like oh people watched it forever. Gosh, and I don't, I love shark movies. Not gonna lie, and it's it's funny that like that Jaws literally started it all, and they're still being made today. Right. I yeah, and there's so many shark movies made. I mean, the um, ones you could list, like it's just all over the map too, in terms of how scary they are. Are they claustrophobic? Are they goofy, like Sharknado, Sharknado or something? Yep. Or the Meg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or the Meg. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. But it's you can see, I mean, Jaws is adapted from a book, of course, but you can also see these, like, creature horror movie influences like The Thing or Creature from the Black Lagoon. You can kind of see how that also influences the film to be like a creature horror movie, even though it is a shark is the creature. Yes, you can still see like it amped up and it, it kills the beautiful woman at the beginning yes. and very classic like tropes in there definitely and then so this is all happening like you said everything's happening so quickly right now like yes. trends on top of trends all at the same time before movies were coming out a little bit more slowly so you have a pretty definitive timeline to follow but at this point in time everything's coming out so much faster so I have uh, the teen horror movie cycle is like the big one. We're still seeing these today. Um, but these co- also kind of come from that film school generation in the 70s. You can really see a kickoff with De Palma's Carrie in 1976. Also a lot of inspiration from this Hitchcock natural horror. And, and then coming on top of that with some occult horror mixed in, right? She's you know witch or whatever she kills everybody and her mom is like um, super uh religious which kind of is like the exorcist creeping in yeah. a little bit yeah yes yeah so that's really good and then uh, another trend in the 70s regardless of horror that was really popular is the revenge film and i really think you can see a lot of revenge film elements uh in carrie as well oh, yeah absolutely right so very also a product of of the time Uh, You see a lot of Stephen King novels starting to get adapted into the 70s, um, like a lot. (laughs) Um, So that's also quite of the time of these like creepy, 
kind of slow moving films with like a big climactic finish. I feel like a lot of the 70s King movies are like that. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I've yeah. I don't know if I have seen any except like The Shining. The Shining, um, yeah, that's a really good example. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure when Pet Cemetery came out, but I do want to put that in that timeline. I know. I don't have that off the top of my head. Was there? A, I know one came out recently. Was there one before that? Yeah, there's like a, a 70s or an 80s oh, version of Pet Cemetery. Okay. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, it's creepy. It's a King movie, so it's slow. It's creepy. Yeah. You know. Um, and then I have in the late 70s now, so it's still kind of is all happening at the same time. It's all happening so fast and close so together. Fast. In the late 70s, you start to see the sort of sci-fi horror come back. So we have been in kind of more naturalistic roots, maybe some, you know, occult horror and some creatures, but we haven't really gone back to like sci-fi or like big monster movies. Mm-hmm. But you kind of start to see that coming back in the 70s and 80s, late 70s and 80s. Um, Alien, I think, is one of the best examples that really kicked this off. 1979, uh, Ridley Scott. This is, I mean, it's a creature sci-fi movie like nothing can compare, I think. What a classic yeah. So good. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then we have another reboot now. So in 1981, John Carp- Carpenter reboots The Thing. Um, I have <laughs> in my slides a gif of the monster from the 1981's The Thing. Oh my God. Wait, um, let, me, let, me, let me say. <laughs> please, everyone, go look at it. Yes, please this is a go look at it. Hold on. Oh my gosh. It's so goofy. It's, it's like terrifying though. I know. It's like you look at it, you're like, this is nightmare fuel, but why does it look like that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please look at this, everybody. And I love these pulpy sci-fi movies that you get in the 80s because they're such a product of the 80s where everything is just big and loud and as ridiculous as possible they have money, they're going to spend it, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. Um, and the thing is actually one of the first like uh, big cult classics, really. It didn't really do that well uh, in theaters, but when it came out on VHS, uh, it actually was, was pretty popular. People were like actually buying the VHS and kind of created this like cult following. Oh, interesting. Yeah, very good. So again, you see a reboot a reboot of a film I think the thing was in the 50s so again about that 30 to 40 year cycle where it starts to come back again yes yes and so another pretty influential uh trend in the 70s we have the slasher um so this is kind of coming from an indie horror perspective of filmmakers who are working outside of the studio small budgets um you know what are they making so uh, you have Tom Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974. This, I think, had a budget of $350,000, which is uh, tiny. That's an incredibly small budget yes. at the time. And also the fact that this is based on a real-life story is kind of a new trend. That wasn't really, nobody was really doing that um, before then. And then, so Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously huge hit super popular 
uh, kind of created even more cycles from that yeah. of like the, the teen slasher. So we're getting even into like mini genres within genres. Mm-hmm. Like the teen slasher, you're looking at like Halloween uh, in 1978, very classic film. Um, also very Hitchcockian. Um, it also had an incredibly small budget. You know, it's quite a self-contained movie. Um, there's not a lot of bombastic violence. It's more like a creepy thriller, you know. Right. It's a little bit gory and graphic, um, but they would kind of hide a lot of their death and stuff off screen due to budget reasons because they couldn't really afford to have like big you know bloody deaths and that kind of thing oh interesting Mm -hmm. and then even that further gets we call it uh into backyard horror Mm -hmm. so just like everything's inspiring everything else um i love backyard horror these are some of my favorites you've got friday the 13th um very classic it's all taking place in like a small town small group of people um nightmare on elm street is another really classic example of this yeah i like those kinds of i like backyard horror too now that i know the term i like backyard (laughs) horror too (laughs) yeah i really like these movies they're so good yeah um and these movies especially i don't i think again i think it's kind of a product of the 80s but these movies particularly inspired so many sequels like how many you know freddy krueger ripoffs and spinoffs do you have like it's crazy. Literally still happening today. Yes, exactly. Um, so that is definitely a pretty influential cycle. Um, and then I think, you know, these in the 80s, these movies are really just like they're pumping out sequels. There's a lot of copycats out there. And then you kind of get into the 90s where I think it's kind of starting to lose steam. People are kind of getting sick of these movies to a, to a point. Um, and you end up with these sort of cynical, very 90s horror movies. They're like super self-aware. You've got Scream, obviously a classic, 1996. Are, this is my favorite era, era, era for sure. <laughs> like, this is it. We're at my favorite Oh, yeah. <laughs> I really, I love these movies because I love the idea of films being entirely self-aware of what they are calling attention to it i mean scream is so masterfully done literally calling out what the plot of the movie is going to be in the middle of the movie this is what happens in scary movies this is what is going to happen to us like it's so self-aware and it's so cynical it's very 90s you know they're pointing out these tropes and you think there's going to be some big twist of who the killer is and then it's just the guy like it's not even really that big of a twist or anything it's like yeah this guy just wants to kill people like that's it really um and then that's Wes Craven you know a genius I love him so much And then it's funny because Scream is so self-aware and making this commentary on horror films, but it inadvertently kind of restarts the teen horror slasher genre all over again. Even Backyard a little bit too, because it's you yes. know, the small town. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And like unironically, like Scream is incredibly ironic. And then like unironically, you start to get stuff like I Know What You Did Last Summer mm-hmm. uh, in 97 or or the Final Destination series starting right at like 2000. 
Um, so these like teen flicks, I guess you would call it with like the tropes of all the teenagers and all their like stereotypes they fit into. And it's just doing the same thing, you know, as like Nightmare on Elm Street or something. Uh, whereas Scream was really kind of making a commentary on the genre as a whole. Right. So it's really interesting because Scream did so well, I don't really feel like people understood wh- why. So then people are like, oh, well, this movie where a bunch of teenagers died did great. So we got to make more of those. We got to do more, yeah. Exactly. And they are my favorite ones. <laughs> I know. They're so good. I do love them. Yeah. They're very 90s mm-hmm. and I do love them. And then, you, and like I said, you kind of have these trends running concurrently. So you also will see creature films starting to come back in the 90s, um, which are also very 90s, but in a different way, like a very campy, like kind of bad special effects, um, like uh, Anaconda in 1997 mm-hmm. with the uh, Ice Cube yeah. is like so pinnacle 90s. What a good movie. <laughs> that movie's so funny. I've never seen Anaconda, but I know that's, like, considered a good movie, right? Like, people love that movie. Oh, yeah, that one's a classic. Yeah. I think that it it's such a good classic creature film of its time, of the 90s. I think that's a pretty good one. Like, you were talking about people who want to know their, like, film history. That's a pretty good one to watch for the 90s era, definitely. Mm-hmm. And then... So we have, so we have creature horror. Oh, I also have Tremors um, in my slideshows as another really campy classic, like 90s creature movie. Um, Tremors is like, if the thing met, you know, like Twister, it's like a disaster movie meets uh, a creature movie all in one. Oh, interesting. That's a pretty, that's a pretty good one to watch as well. Um, and then let's see. So then, so you have these cynical movies, right? You have these campy creature flicks. And then I also, you kind of see a resurgence of these psychological thrillers in the nineties, kind of coming back again from this like Hitchcock sensibility uh, and the occult all mixed together with like Silence of the Lambs 1991 is, is quite a classic psychological thriller. I think Silence of the Lambs is also like a huge blueprint for modern day serial killer genre. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like uh, the resurgence recently in serial killer uh, fiction, I guess you want to say, like with um, Zach Efron's uh, Netflix movie. Yeah, the oh, Ted boy. Bundy movie. Yeah, that one was a lot. You see a lot of true crime becoming really popular now. I would say in the last like 10, 15 years, I feel like true crime is like huge. It's like what every girl talks about is like, I can't wait to watch this documentary about a serial killer. I mean, I made made a podcast about it. Like, yeah. Yes, exactly. I also attribute the boom of true crime to these podcasts also. Oh, yeah, yeah, huge. Yeah, I think yeah. with, like, this new, because podcasting's fairly new, this new way of, like, talking about these cases, so many people are now more interested in it. Especially a lot of these cold cases, right, where it's, like, a mystery yeah. that no one's been able to solve, and you can go back, um, you know, there's, like, so many famous ones, like, the Black Dahlia jumps right to mind, like. Yes, and these podcasters are almost, like, you know, Uh, armchair detectives in the way they put out this information and talk to people 
in hopes of like you know getting one step closer to solving the case right yeah the whole thing is so I was just watching the I'll be gone in the dark documentary um, okay about the golden state killer and yeah it's it's also interesting about how so many people get invested or are fast fascinated with this genre and so it's no surprise honestly I'm actually more surprised that we don't see it in more like horror films now it is kind of its own niche like you'll see uh like the zodiac killer comes to mind it's a really classic I feel like you see it more on serialized television right like criminal minds CSIs etc etc Hannibal yeah yes uh, and I don't know, I don't know why it's not as, as many movies as you see on TV. Um, but I do think Silence of the Lambs is such a blueprint for this like fascination with the mind of the serial killer and yes. that becoming its own genre, you Especially know? Especially now, then too, because like serial killers were just like huge in like the 70s and 80s. Like that's yes. when they were like really on one, um, I guess it's not so much that way anymore because of the DNA technology and stuff that we have now. Right. But yeah. So it's interesting that, you know, science of the lamps could have definitely just like borrowed from this era of time that was happening where so many serial killers were just like running loose. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely think that's true. Yeah, because you're right. In the 70s and 80s, there was way more serial killers. The news is full of it constantly. Yeah. And today, I mean, you're not going to see some killer rampaging in the newspapers. You just, today. you just, you really don't. Like, it's, it's wild that, you know, when I look into like true crime cases and serial killers, they all were like just huge in the 70s and 80s. I don't know what the heck was happening then. I don't know, I know. why <laughs> these serial killers were being birthed <laughs> then, but you don't you really just don't see it as much anymore which thank god but you yeah you really really don't yeah i think that's super interesting mm-hmm. um yeah i love silence of the lambs for kind of kickstarting that it's such a trend even now yeah um and then, and then i think you really also start to see a lot of the occult stuff coming back um like you've got sixth sense in 1999 mm-hmm. um you know, what a classic. You can obviously see the inspiration from like uh, The Omen and that kind of thing. Yeah. You've got, you know, The Others in 2001 uh, with Nicole Kidman. What a great classic ghost, you know, come haunting movie. Um, the Ring as well in the late 90s. Another very, very classic, you know, creepy uh, occult movie as well. One of my faves. Yes. <laughs> And then as we're leaving the like late 90s, 2000s, you're starting to get these modern genres that are only capable of existing through our modern technology. Like you said, podcasts, you know, kind of creating this true crime, like craze. Yeah. Um, I love the found footage genre, which never would have existed without modern technology, like allowing that to even be a thing. Yes. Um, you know, like Blair Witch Project, very notorious for setting off that entire genre. Um, I think the scene of the girl with like her nose up the camera has been parodied in like absolutely everything. It's so iconic. Mm-hmm. And like Paranormal Activity, I think you mentioned. Yes. You have in your notes, yeah. 
Yeah, Paranormal Activity. I mean, I can't. I don't even know how many sequels that movie has yeah. as well. And also, kind of kicking off its own thing. Like even movies like Cloverfield, which I would primarily classify as like a creature film, is basically shot as a found footage movie. Um, so that's you know already influencing other genres. You know that quickly. That's only like eight years later from when Blair Witch came out. You know. Yeah, it's interesting to see you know how technology like does play a part in the horror film genre too. Because then you have movies where there's like you know people. Oh, unfriended. I don't know if you know. Oh, that. yes. Yeah, where they're having like a video chat call and the whole movie is like the video chat and they're being like haunted. Right. Yeah. And then also just like, I know this probably exists, but like haunted cell phones or like something, like <laughs> things happen. Isn't there, there's a movie, right, where uh, if you download the app, you die or something. Yeah. I don't know what it's called, but. Yeah. So that's... it's like that kind of thing too starts influencing you know technology just starts influencing the i guess this you know happens in pretty much every genre but horror yeah horror especially i think really runs with it Mm -hmm. and then it it literally creates a new cycle like the found footage cycle of like paranormal activity being huge in the like late aughts i mean that was like the only movie i feel like i heard about in like 2008 was like paranormal activity People were pumped for it to like to see it and also they advertised it so interestingly too because they advertised it as people sitting in the fi- in the theater watching it and right. freaking out yeah like jumps like the big jump scares yeah i remember that mm-hmm. that's so funny yeah you're right um, I also have another big uh, genre starting in the 2000s as uh, people refer to it as like torture porn. Um, your Saw is going to be your best example of this. Um, people weren't really doing gore the way it's been done since Saw came out. Like it, it really yeah. wasn't happening like that. Uh, in the Hammer Horror, people kind of refer to it with the blood and babes and like these splatter films. So you can see Saw taking some inspiration from those things, uh, but it really was never as gratuitous or um, realistic as it was until Saw came out. Mm -hmm. It's really its own entire genre of like how crazy those movies are. Yeah, I I think I saw like the first one, because honestly, I'm not like the biggest gore person. I like Paranormal and like The Ring and Scream even... But they don't show that much gore and scream, honestly. So it's like, I I never really got into the song movies. <laughs> no, I am totally in agreement. Yeah. I haven't really, I think, yeah, I've seen like the first and second one. Not really my jam. Yeah. But that is another one that had so many sequels. So yes. many sequels. A whole reboot. The fact that they like created this lore around Jigsaw, like it's yeah. kind of ridiculous. And you can also see... I think in the 90s and the 2000s, these trends die out so quickly because you get stuff like Scary Movie um, and like SNL and like these things, you know, that poke fun at these movies so quickly that all of a sudden they're not cool anymore. You know, like once they started making fun of like the ring and Scary Movie, it's like it's not really scary anymore after that. Right. It's like a joke. (laughs) Yes. And so I, these trends come and go so fast just with the rate that we are pumping out and consuming media in modern day is also really interesting, I think. Yeah. 
And then uh, I have a sort of wrapping up because I feel like the this particular trend or cycle is kind of present through almost all of horror history, almost like how we talk about Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the zombie film, I think yeah. it's so ubiquitous to horror it's like never gonna go away it's always present in some shape or form um do you kind of have the first like real zombie movie is nine of the living dead romero 1968 this is intentionally shot in black and white that was his aesthetic choice um it's very slow uh you know we didn't have the thought of the different types of zombies or the lore of zombies that we do now that we did back, like that we did not have that back then. Um, And then that movie did pretty well. It wasn't like a huge hit or anything. You didn't see like a ton, a ton of these movies coming out after that kind of dipped away. And then you have 28 days later in 2002 and I think this really kickstarted the modern day zombie genre. Because after that movie came out, it was like everywhere you look, there's a new zombie movie, book, video game, like it, they're everywhere. TV show. And they, yes. Yeah. Like, and it's, hasn't left. it's interesting too, because I feel like zombie movies also kind of branch away from the horror genre too like world war z for example like it gets into like action like i wouldn't really consider that a horror movie i don't think i agree it's not really a horror movie it's a zombie movie yeah it's its own it's like its own genre at this point Mm -hmm. and then because you have so many different zombie movies like warm bodies is like a romantic comedy yes you know but it's zombies uh it's like a Anna and the Apocalypse is a musical, but they're zombies. Like it's Zombieland so is basically a comedy. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So I think you know once Twenty Eight Days Later kind of brought zombies back into the mainstream, and then you've you've got all these like pretty classic zombie movies coming out. Um, Walking Dead comes out. You know these like really prestigious, well received zombie films it kind of became its own genre. Like you said, like it's not really just about horror anymore. It's just about zombies. It's like their own lore, their own, because you you know, people talk about, is it a fast zombie? Is it a slow zombie? Mm -hmm. What is like the bite cycle? Like it's truly like its own entire thing. uh, Video games. Yeah, Yeah. and video games, Mm -hmm. which uh, it's funny. I could talk a lot about horror in video games. There's so many ridiculous, like, trash one-off video game makes of these popular horror movies but the zombie video game scenario is like it's really its own beast you know you have stuff like the last of us which is almost regarded as like almost regarded as like an hbo show would be like so prestigious but in the world of video games you know yeah yeah it's i really want to play that it's good it is good Mm -hmm. Um, And it's funny because we have been talking about these parody films that kind of put the nail in the coffin for a particular cycle, but you have stuff like Zombieland or like Shaun of the Dead. And you would think that these movies that are kind of parodying all these zombie tropes would be like, oh, people are sick of zombies. Obviously they're making these movies, making fun of it, but zombies has still not gone away at all. Yeah, Almost like people like zombies so much that you have stuff like Shaun of the Dead, which just becomes a horror, well, not even a zombie comedy movie. Yeah, that's so that's interesting. It. Like, why is that 
why does that still work after all this time? It's something that people love zombies. I don't know if maybe we'll see zombies start to die down. I think maybe once Walking Dead officially ends, we might see a bit of a die down in zombie, you know, film and uh, video games and all that. But I don't know. It could also just stick around forever. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And then let's see. So, yeah, that's kind of my my journey through the history of horror with you. It's so fascinating. We got into so much detail. And then I I see you have like what's next, which I am very excited to talk about. Um, yes, I thought that would be fun for us to speculate what we think is the next big trend, like in horror film. Yeah. Yeah. So I like what you have with the sociopolitical horror, like get out. Yeah, I mess. think we are definitely starting to see these sociopolitical films, but drawing from the roots of horror, like like Get Out, uh, Midsummer, Summer, mm-hmm. uh, Hereditary is also a really good one that comes to mind, mm-hmm. um, and these films are scary like no joke they are freaky they are scary but i would say the main point of them is to make a socio-political commentary but using the world of horror to do it which i think is so so interesting yeah and these movies are great and even people who don't specifically like the horror genre love these movies exactly yes because i think like it draws so much like you said it makes a statement about like the real world in a way but using horror right Mm -hmm. and they're so popular i remember get out i think we tried to see that in theaters like four different times and it was like sold out like every time we tried to go right you know what i mean like it was so popular and people are still talking about it you still see like analysis videos and like meta discussion what's it mean and so many comparisons to like you know what's happening today Exactly. And uh, uh, Us, I think the one they made right after that, also very on trend for that. So I think we could definitely see more of that, especially with these modern filmmakers who have something to say, particularly in the current uh, climate of the country and the world in general. Oh, I absolutely agree. There's probably going to be like Trump horror movies. Like. And it's funny because The Purge uh, comes to mind and it's such a, like a goofy, you know, premise, but in its own way, it really is also one of these sociopolitical movies of like, it definitely deteriorated. They made too many sequels and it got weird. Uh, But the original Purge, I think is so tight in its concept of what it's trying to say that that's also such a good one for me that pops out. Yeah. Also what came to mind too, uh, is American Horror Story uh, how they did the cult series when like Donald Trump was like elected as president? I'm pretty sure right. that's when that came out, and it had it was basically about you know political cults in a way, which yes. is so interesting. Um, I would very topical. Yeah, and I also in my mind when I was like, hmm, what is next? I was like, maybe like pandemic. Esque, like horror films or yes. like you know being stuck inside your home in a kind of thing like I can definitely see that uh considering how much of a boom movies like Contagion and yes. Pandemic got at the start of quarantine um I won't be surprised at all if we see many more 
you know, illness or pandemic outbreak type of movies popping up. I'm, yeah, I won't lie. Like, I watched Contagion right when this started. <laughs> right. So I, I wouldn't be surprised about that. Also, I think the political thing would prob- is probably going to blow up more I well I don't know it kind of depends on what happens this election perhaps but mm-hmm. yeah I would I wouldn't be surprised if that uh kept kept its momentum and then you know we're talking about how fast everything's going just in the modern age of media consumption I think it's really interesting to look at streaming and how that affects the trends and the cycles we're seeing uh, because things can come out so fast and so quickly without the interference really of like a big studio. Uh, people can really do whatever they want. Like we see these films that kind of blew up because of Netflix. Right. Um, like the Babadook uh, really comes to mind for me. You know, that's kind of like a, a foreign horror film that not many re- people really knew about. And it got put on Netflix and it just blew up. Like it got so big. Um, also social media. Like, I think it yes. also depends, like we talked about earlier, technology, like the evolution of technology and how we interact with each other because the Babadook became like a meme. So then, right. yeah, it brought so much traction to it. And then I think I saw this movie, um, I think it's on Amazon. I forget what it's called, but it's literally about like a a guy who's a Twitch streamer. I don't think it's Twitch specifically, like they don't use Twitch, right. but he's a streamer and he's like a killer or something and he does it on stream so it's like i think also however technology evolves like the horror film like we said will pro the horror film genre will probably evolve with it in some way yes definitely <laughs> and then i think if we look at the trend of cycles if you take the 30 to 40 year formula mm-hmm. you know 30 years ago we're looking at the 90s 40 years ago the 80s so i we're already kind of seeing some of these slasher films come back in popularity. Um, One that I just recently watched, The Babysitter on Netflix, really taking uh, a punch at like the 90s, like teen slasher kind of, but in that cynical way that they kind of did in the 90s. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see more stuff like that as well with the teen the teen horror kind of come back yeah that one also that one was very the occult and all of that was yeah very big right in that. um there was one i was thinking of oh uh happy death day oh yeah also one that's very like teen slasher and the there's a spinoff coming did you see like the happy death day meets the hot chick movie that's uh, coming out oh yes with um Vince yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I think that one's going to be pretty funny. And I like that because they are pretty cynical. Like, they're definitely kind of taking the piss out of, like, horror movie tropes. And it's pretty ironic, these films. They're kind of funny, but they still have these, like, slasher elements. So you can really see the 90s influence of that when you watch it, which is, again, that's that cycle just coming back again. And I think movies like that just get more, you know, attention because they're not like hereditary or something it's something that like everybody pretty much loves like people who don't really like horror films I guess that are like so excited for like this hot I don't remember what it's called but it's like I mean either yeah the hot chick one that's coming out or uh happy death day people can like actually watch which is interesting because I do kind of like 
put that in almost a different genre than like her like hereditary is almost like real horror film kind of exactly yeah and it's like these self-aware almost like funny horror movies are so different than like hereditary which i would almost classify as like prestige horror yes. right like these are like oscar horror movies yeah. like very highbrow very big brain yeah big brain <laughs> yeah, like, yeah i said it in one in one episode where i talked about hereditary like i love her uh, scary movies but i will not watch that movie again it is so scary it scarred me Mm-mm. <laughs> because it, it, those movies like that one and, and midsummer particularly are really drawing on and this is the socio-political again drawing on the horror of being a woman right it's it's literally like why it's horrifying to be a mother why is it horrifying to be a girlfriend you know whatever um and as a woman watching those movies I really think it hits different you oh, know absolutely especially for me because I guess because I'm not a mother but especially midsummer I was like yes. I could it took me back for some reason to being in high school and like finding out you know this guy like is cheating on me or dating someone else and going to my girlfriends and like commiserating about it together like it took me back to that feeling <laughs> Yeah, it's so visceral. And I, obviously, I think it's going to always resonate more with women. Um, it, it, it really is this like very intense feeling that these movies bring out. And it's something I think that we'll see more and more of, especially as more women enter the filmmaking space. And, and they have these stories to tell and these feelings to express you'll only see them more, especially in the current climate. Oh, absolutely. That's definitely probably something that's going to keep its momentum too. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on what I think might come next. I'd love to see a resurgence of, like, the 1980s, like, uh, creature flicks. I would love to see those come back, like, the really over-the-top pulpy movies. I don't know if we will. It's not very 2020-esque, but I would love to see those come back because I love them. Especially now that we have so much better, you know, technology and graph. The What's the word I'm looking for? Like, Oh, like CGI, CGI and stuff, yeah. special effects. We have so much. Yeah. We have better like so much better technology to do that they should bring them back like we could probably make something so cool <laughs> yeah especially if like again you're taking that self-aware model and kind of running with it i don't know i think it would be fun um like i don't know if you know about like the ash versus the evil dead kind of cult classic movie series um those are also pretty pulpy um the first one i believe was in the 70s or the 80s and they made a few sequels and it's very campy gore. It's also got some zombie elements, um, but like over the top, like just like splatter kind of, you know, fake-ish gore type of stuff. And then they just had a recent uh, reboot on Netflix. So it's like, it's a cult classic. So everyone's so excited who loves it to see it. I'd love to see more stuff like that come back, but who knows? Yeah, I would love to see that stuff come out again too. I mean, I, I guess I'm not a huge like creature uh person but i think if it's done right and maybe borrowed from like the 2020 era socio-political i don't know how but it could be done like i would something yeah <laughs> like uh i think recently a movie came out crawl which has uh oh my god what's her face in it 
Uh, it's like the alligator in the, <laughs> the sunken house is so funny. Yeah, Effie from Skins, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Effie. Thank you. Uh, she, yeah, I watched that movie. It, that good. I know it's not good. I spent money on it too. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't be like me. <laughs> I wanted that to be good because it's like exactly the type of movie I'm looking for, kind of mashing up like the shark movie with the creature, yes. you know, 80s sensibility. And it was like so cheesy. It was not good. Yeah, I, I did not enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> so if they could, you know, take something to crawl, make it good. Yes. We'd have a really great, I think, genre on our hands. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I would... I would watch it. I would I would look forward to that coming out and <laughs> Yeah. I think we'll see zombies start to die down. Like I said, I think once uh Walking Dead finally finishes, I think it's due to finish like next year officially. Finally. But no, I also think they're having a spin-off with like just Daryl. I'm not sure. Um I didn't know <laughs> which is like still watch that. Like I forever ago. <laughs> no, I don't think anyone really, unless you're super diehard, is like yeah, still watching it. That's wild. So, I, I think you'll see it start to die down, or it's going to go exclusively into like a video game genre yes. of like zombie games being super popular. Yes. I think, I don't think true crime is going anywhere. I definitely think that's here to stay. That's so popular right now. Like you said, with podcasts and like on YouTube, it's so big. Um, these like uh, these streaming sites again pushing it into popularity with these like original Netflix documentaries and yes. the docu series that keep coming out that are like it literally it's what everyone talks about when they drop like everyone's talking about it. Those yeah. aren't going. Anywhere. It's so funny too that people love true crime but also don't like horror films when like literally true crime is like you know you, you are it is. It should be the scariest thing to us. It like really actually. I know because it's actually real. Um, I know. I, I don't know how like movies could borrow from that, but you know. I think we might see more stuff like the Zac Efron Ted Bundy. I think we'll see more of those. We probably will because that is like you said, so popular right now. Yeah, oh, I did so well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Meg. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. You are brilliant. This was so great. This was so interesting. Um, If you want, you can share where people can find you. You don't have to, but. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't really post about this kind of stuff, but you can follow me on Instagram. I'm egg underscore Meg. Um, <laughs> I don't really post very often, but you can follow me if you want. Yeah, I don't actually have a Twitter, so I'll put it in the show notes at the bottom. And stay tuned for 13 Days of Halloween because we're still trucking along here. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spooky Show Pod or at my personal, which is Bubbling Queen. And uh, that's it, everyone. Thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs>